our God, we read in the Ten Commandments, is a jealous God. Now you think jealous, well, isn't jealousy a sin? Well, we think of jealousy in a different way than what God thinks of. See, God created us and he wants our worship and our devotion alone. And in today's society, people look for alternatives. And one of the alternatives that people look towards is the supernatural. They may reject God outright, but they do not reject the supernatural. And so they find other things to look toward. And that's what we're going to read about here in Acts 16, verses 16 to 19. It says, as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. Now you see in there, it talks about a group of people that are proclaiming God's word with Paul. And so I think there's four people here. We know Paul and Silas are the ones that end up in jail. So they're there. They're there. And also the writer of this book of Acts is there, Luke. And we know earlier from uh, in chapter 16 that Timothy's there as well. And there's an opportunity here to proclaim the message. Lydia has already been saved at the river. You see, Philippi is not quite big enough, doesn't have enough people, uh, Jewish people, to have a synagogue. And so what the Jewish people did, that small number, they went down by the gate at the river and they worshiped God there, even though there was no synagogue. And Paul had it in his mind that from every city he went, as he traveled, he would try to reach the Jews first. And so there he met some Jews at the river, Lydia was saved, and now he's going back there with his company, the people he's traveling together with, to continue to preach the gospel to try to get more converts. Now we read here that there's a slave girl that had a spirit of divination. Luke doesn't tell us her name, but this is probably a very young girl, unmarried, a maiden, or a female slave. And the girl is not here being used as a house servant. Really what's happening is she's being exploited. She has this spirit that is giving her the ability to tell the future, to be involved in fortune telling. And how are they exploiting her? Well, they were making a lot of money. Her owners had much gain by the way they exploited her fortune telling abilities. This was a money-making enterprise. The fact that she had multiple owners, as it says here, meant that there was a lot of profit to be shared among these people. The girl was following Paul around and crying out. 
ineffectuous shouting so loud that she could be heard above all others. And you know, at face value, her message seemed legitimate. She said, these men are the servants of the Most High God. What she said about Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke was true. She called them servants. As a matter of fact, she used the word that Paul used about himself all the time. She called him a bondservant or slave. What she said about God was true. He is the God of heavens. He is the supreme, most high God. And these servants were indeed proclaiming the way of salvation. This was true as well. Verse 18, though, says that she kept uh, doing this for days upon days. And Paul was getting annoyed. Why would Paul be annoyed if this girl is speaking the truth? Well, first of all, the noise of her shouting would definitely be a distraction. You know, who would you listen to? Paul, as you're facing him, or you turn around all of a sudden because there's this girl shouting behind you. The attention would be taken away from Paul and diverted to the slave girl as Paul was trying to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Another thing is her reputation. People know that she had this spirit of divination. Everyone heard her shouting. And really, Paul wanted to impart the pure gospel. The source of her message was not legitimate. What was the source of her message? This is the wrong question. The question should be, who is the source of her message? Or who was the source of her message? The source of her message was Satan himself. Paul did not want to give any Satan any opportunity for public affirmation of Paul's ministry. Because you see, Satan is the father of lies. Satan will mix in truth with falsehood. A little bit of truth here, a little bit of truth there. And then he blends in false doctrine like who Jesus Christ is or that we need to do some works to get our salvation as well. Satan mixes in these doctrines and leads to error causing many to stray from the pure, true gospel of Christ. And that's why we have so many cults today because Satan has gotten in there. The Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons and different cults where they deny who Jesus Christ really is, that he's God in the flesh. And Satan gets his words in there. Paul's response to the spirit was to turn and speak directly to it. His words at the end of verse 18, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. The, whole, um, the evil spirit did come out of her within the hour. We know this is true because as we read on, we find that the owners of the girl are incensed. Their money tree has been shed bare. Their hope of profit disappeared. Paul and Silas were beaten and jailed as a result of the message of the gospel. In Deuteronomy 18, we, God specifically commands his people 
not to follow the occult practices of the promised land that they're going into. The different nations that were already in the promised land were practicing the occult just as the magicians had in Egypt. They were an abomination unto God. And uh, what it says there is, there shall not be found among you any who practice divination, tell fortunes, interpret omens, sorcerers, charmers, mediums, or necromancers, a person that inquires after the dead. So we have this command in the Old Testament, and we have affirmation in the New Testament that God is against this practice. However, God's command here that, uh, in Deuteronomy does not stop Israel's first king, King Saul, from seeking out a medium. And you remember, might remember this story from the Old Testament. In Sam, Samuel 28, we find that uh, Saul's afraid and his heart trembled greatly when he sees the army of the Philistines. This army's there waiting to attack Israel. And Saul's panicking. Paul seeks the Lord, and the Lord does not answer him. So what does Saul do? Saul seeks out the witch of Ender. King Saul goes in and consults her, but he's wearing a disguise. Now the witch of Ender is trying to be really careful because she knows what she's doing, she's not supposed to be doing. And so she actually questions this and says, are you trying to lay a trap for me? Then King Saul makes the mistake of swearing to her by the Lord that no punishment would come to her. Well, that's not Saul's thing to swear to her because this woman knows that she's not supposed to be doing it and she will um, uh, get her judgment from God for doing this. When the witch of Ender fulfills Saul's request and brings up the prophet Samuel from the dead, the witch of Ender figures out that it is indeed King Saul that's come to her. Samuel asks Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Saul replies, I'm in great distress. God has turned away from me and answers me no more, either by prophet or by dreams. Therefore, I have summoned you to tell me what to do. So Saul has turned away from God, sought out a medium or a witch to call up the prophet that Saul knew before Samuel died to try to get advice. We read later in 1 Chronicles 10, verses 13 and 14, it gives some reasons of why this was wrong for King Saul. So Saul died for his breach of faith. He broke faith with the Lord in that he did not keep the command of the Lord and also consulted a medium seeking guidance. He did not seek guidance from the Lord. Therefore, the Lord put him to death and turned the kingdom of, uh, over to David, the son of Jesse. So we've seen the example of this girl with the spirit of divination here in Acts. We've heard about the example of King Saul in the Old Testament and their involvement with the occult. However, today the occult is still alive and well. 
in society. The practice of the occult is still about money. The occult is a multi-billion dollar enterprise and Satan continues to reap his harvest. But what are people looking for? What would cause them to seek out the occult? We've seen the example of Saul that the primary draw of the occult is fear of future events. King Saul saw the Philistine army and he was afraid. He trembled in his heart. He was distressed. Another motivator for the occult today is what people think is an innocent curiosity about the future. Well, with this, there is no innocent curiosity. But people have questions like, what will my life be like? How long will I live? Will I live a long life? Um, how many children will I have? What should I invest in? And people actually look to the stars or they look to the occult, they look to spirit of divination for this to try to get the answers. Unfortunately also, involvement in the, in the occult also occurs to many who have denied or re rejected God and they've been fooled They've been tricked and deceived by Satan to believe that there is another supernatural power that they can draw from. And they actually ascribe worth to. And that's Satan himself. And so as believers, what should we do, first of all, to be aware of this situation, but to guard ourselves? What should we do? We need to take the issue seriously. A believer in Christ has no place for curiosity or participation with witches or palm readers or mediums or seances or tarot cards or reading of tea leaves or Ouija boards or horoscopes or anything like these. These are revolting to a sovereign God who predestines all things and who alone is to be trusted with our future. Ephesians 6 verse 12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. When it uses the word wrestle in that portion of Ephesians 6, it actually is talking about hand-to-hand -hand combat. The stakes are eternal, and this is a battle. The occult is a dangerous practice that believers should not dabble in. We are defenseless with Satan without the power of God. You know, we should trust God with our fears. What are we afraid of today? There's many things. And I'm not talking about spiders or snakes or fear of heights. The fear I'm talking about is life and death, our health, our financial stability, our living conditions, the salvation of loved ones, circumstances outside of our control. And you know, when I talk about this, I'm reminding myself to tell God about my fears, for me to cry out to God, 
to ask for his guidance. And for all of us, ask for his strength, his relief and his comfort and his delivery. Trust that he knows what is best for me and will guide my path as he walks beside me and we hold his hand. James 5, 7 says, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Matthew 6, a reminder not to be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about tomorrow. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You see, there's no alternative to look towards. We don't look towards you know, these other practices. We don't read our daily horoscope for the answers. We turn to God's word. We have to trust God with our future. It's important that we know as well as we can the God of the Bible so that we can understand God's will for us. You know, when we were in youth group um, as teens, we'd always ask our youth leader, well, teach us about God's will. Teach us about God's will. You know, who are we supposed to marry? What are we going to do with our lives? And you know, these questions are lived up through experience in God's word. We don't have to look any further than God's word for his will. When we understand more fully God's attributes, for example, that God is all powerful and is in control of all things, it strengthens our trust in him. We learn that God is holy and it is God's will for us as his children for us to be obedient. As we rely on God through our life's experiences, we continue to grow in the spirit and the spirit leads us even though we don't know or can't uh, anticipate what lies ahead. Ephesians 5, 15 to 17 are some of my favorite verses. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of your time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. One of the other ways that we can fight off this tendency from uh, Satan, this, this uh, temptation from Satan, is to worship God with all of our might. When we focus on, on God in our intentional Bible reading, and when we meditate on God's word, when we pray in a way that strengthens our relationship with him, when we focus on who he is, when we tell God that we love him, when we confess our sins, when we sing his praises, and we thank him for his abundant mercy and grace, when we praise Jesus our Savior for his death and re resurrection, when we serve with obedience, the devil has no room to get a toehold on us at all. But also we have to wage a defensive warfare. James 4 verse 7 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him 
firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And then we're going to spend some time here in Ephesians 6. So you might want to turn there. Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6, um, we'll look at verse 10, 11, and then 13. 6 verse 10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And then going over to verse 11. That was verse 11. <laughs> Very good. And therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Here it describes a defensive posture. Never does it say in scripture that we should try to attack the devil. We're in a defensive posture and we put on the whole armor of God and that equips us for our defense. So I'm going to read that section of the whole armor of God right from verse 10, and I'll read it, read it right through to verse 18. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the authorities, against rulers, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. And I'll stop there. So we put on the whole armor of God, and we have these things that we put on. We put on the belt of truth, and what this is, the first piece of armor that we put on, and it shows our readiness. In, some, in the old King James, it might say to gird up your loins. It's actually to pull up your outfit so you can get running as you need to. And it protects us from Satan's deceptions. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. We carry the righteousness of Christ because our own righteousness is insufficient against Satan. As we mature in Christ we, and are more obedient, we're less prone to submit to temptation. We have the readiness given by the gospel of peace. That shows our feet shod with something that we can stand firm with, that be unmovable. And you see that as we're in our defensive position. We stand firm to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. We take up the shield of faith, trusting God in the battle to remove our doubts and fears. We put on the helmet of salvation, protecting our minds from the attack, attack of Satan. We have the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, our battle plan that we can consult with. 
praying at all times, with all prayer and uh, supplication, we seek God's counsel for us. Not like King Saul, who sought the counsel from um, the medium, the witch of Ender. We seek God's counsel. Brother and sister, today I hope that you will trust God that your future is secure. That victory over sin and death has been won by the blood of Christ. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep being slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, or depth, nor any other thing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our, in Christ Jesus our Lord. We're in an interesting week as we are every year. It's Halloween time. And I don't want to comment on Halloween itself other than to say God has warned us what we're to stay away from in the way of witches and sorcerers and mediums and all those tools they use to practice that. As a closing thought, I want to ask you this. God knows the future. Am I following him? God knows the future. Are you following him? Let's pray, shall we? Our Lord and our God, we thank you for your scripture that you warn us of things that can endanger us. And Lord, as we've read through scripture, we pray that we would seek counsel alone from you. For you, God, are alone worthy of our worship. You, God, alone are worthy of our, uh, a, a person that we can consult, a person that we can go to in our time of need. Because, Lord, we do have fears. Lord, we do cry out to you. We thank you that you're a God that listens. We thank you that you're a God that answers prayer. Lord, we pray that we would not be like King Saul, that we would lose our faith or lose our trust in you. But, Lord, we thank you that you will sustain us to the end. Lord, please help us to stand firm against the wiles of Satan. Lord, please help us as we want to give the clear proclamation of the gospel like the Apostle Paul did in Philippi. Help us, Lord, to have opportunities each day to proclaim your word. And we pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.